the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. I'm actually not in the studio today, which I don't know if you guys like me to say that kind of stuff when I'm not here, but I just wanted to pre-record this because I think it's it's very important, and um, I have a family issue I have to take care of, so anyway, I'll be back next Saturday morning, and in the meantime, I thought I would talk about an awful lot of things that are happening, going on in the uh, world uh, I've got a lot of people talking about the upcoming election, and boy, you want to talk about getting people excited really quickly. Just, uh, whew, man, I, I'm to the point now where I, I just don't want to mention politics at all <laughs> because you just can't win. The uh, you, you, it, It's amazing. And uh, you know what? And, and here's the thing about politics. So let me make everybody mad at the same time. <laughs> That's people on both sides of the aisle, okay? The president is like the quarterback of a football team. He's only as good as his offensive line and his defense. You got that? (laughs) A quarterback cannot win a game by themselves. Ask any of the Browns quarterbacks. (laughs) You have to have... A, a the whole team in place are they an important piece yes they are important piece are they the whole piece no way okay so and there is a uh, there's not enough data because we haven't had that many presidents to say for sure one way or the other which one's better for the economy so by the way that was my major in in college so I wouldn't make that comment if I didn't already know the answer but Anyway, so uh, I just wanted to start off by saying, hey, look, the uh, whatever happens, the United States is going to do well. Whatever happens, we still have the infrastructure that we had in place to get us this far. And by the way, that is improving. The infrastructure in the United States is improving fairly significantly. When you look at the ability to handle a pandemic, I just went in this morning to get a, uh, a COVID test. I'm going to get the results in a couple of days, but so when I went and because I'm traveling, by the way, the, uh, and I'm going to be seeing people who are, are very old and susceptible. So I just thought this is the right thing to do. So I went in, I won't get the, uh, 
test results, I think, for two days, but that's uh, uh, before I'll be seeing the people I'm going to be seeing, and I should be good. And in fact, the uh, a doctor said, you know, probably don't have you don't have enough symptoms, and and she looked at my blood pressure and all this stuff, regular checkup, and uh, before they do the swab thing, and you know, I'm supposed to be in pretty good shape. So, thank you <laughs> for your concern. Uh, the uh, anyway, what's going to be happening? And, and I'm, when I'm looking at the, all this stuff, this is what I was actually getting to. When I'm looking at all this stuff, all the equipment that they have to purchase for this, that that's not going away. You know, most of the stuff is disposable, which means you have to make more of it once you use the stuff that they're using now. And I'm looking at that, going, wow, you know, this is probably a, a kind of a, a permanent type of thing. It's not probably actually. I, if you go on and Google this, you know, the what's probably going to happen is we're all going to develop antibodies at some point in time or vaccines. And this is probably here with us to stay, but we will get better at handling it just like they've done before with tons of other diseases and and, uh, infectious infectious diseases. So at some point in time, we're just going to have to handle it the same way that we've handled all the other things that have come before this. And what does that mean? Well, it means that people are being employed that to produce those products, the vaccines that are doing the exams, processing the data, it and the economy actually grows because of that. So I guess the silver lining to this is it puts people to work. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. So is it tough getting through this? Yep. Um, hopefully they get a, a vaccine relatively quickly. Uh, hopefully we're able to develop antibodies quickly. Hopefully the herd immunity uh, keeps expanding, building, getting stronger. And when we do get our arms wrapped around this whole thing, by the way, the economy is going to zip back. Why do I say that? Well, because people still like to eat. They still like to wear clothing, drive cars, live in housing, all the kind of stuff, just basically living. And the world population continues to grow, so we have to make more of all those things. The population in the United States is still growing. So it's a, uh, it's, this is a temporary thing. Uh, it, it's a long temporary thing. <laughs> I think we might be breaking a, a few world records here uh, by the time this is over. In a lot of areas, by the way, there's just there's a lot of good stuff that's going on. I I really feel bad for the people that have gotten hit hard because there are a lot of people that have been hit really hard by this. And eventually that will come back. Now, having said that, I was looking at which categories have been doing the best. And it actually hasn't changed much over the past five or six years. It's large cap, large companies that are mostly technology. That's what's been pushing the S&P 500 because it's got a ton of those companies in it. That's what's been pushing that up. And by the way, the S&P 500 is not the stock market. That drives me crazy when I hear the guys on CNBC saying the stock market and they're talking about the S&P 500. Those guys should be run out of business. They should get new reporters who know what they're talking about. The S&P 500 is not the stock market. The top 50 stocks 
out of the 500, out of the several thousand that make up the U.S. stock exchanges, make up more than half of that index. That is a horrible representation of the stock market. That's the large cap, mostly growth and tech-oriented portion of the stock market. Why is that? Well, it's just kind of the way it, it, it's configured. It's configured so that the companies that whose share prices go up the most get more heavily weighted in that index. And that's why it's, it's a little lopsided right now. Actually, it's a lot lopsided right now. But there is a way that uh, I think you can probably take advantage of that. And there are different, several different funds. And I'm working on a, on a method, by the way. We're probably going to do a Zoom meeting because I, I don't know when we'll ever be able to do another in-person seminar. But I'm kind of working on that right now to kind of show wh- what you can do. There are funds out there relatively new. They're four or five years old, which is a good length of time. Because a fund needs to be around for a few years, by the way. Before you, before I put money in it, because a lot of funds shut down and go away when they don't gather enough assets to be able to pay their own bills. If they don't get big enough, fast enough, they're going to shut that fund down. And then you know what happens? And it doesn't matter, by the way, how good the fund is. In fact, you could have a good fund with an excellent strategy. The market takes a dive. People pull money out of the fund like they always do. And the fund doesn't have enough assets to survive. So a good fund goes away. And you know what happens when you've invested in that good fund? There's a big fat zero where that price used to be for the fund and they don't deposit the cash back into your account right away. Now, imagine you're an investment advisor. (laughs) You put some money for all your clients into a fund and that fund disappears. (laughs) And that money disappears. From the account. And when they call, you say, don't worry about it. It'll show up. It's going to come back again in a few weeks. Really? (laughs) Now, I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) So this is why I refuse to invest in funds that are too small. If they're too small and the market takes a drop and people pull out, they're going to shut that fund down and you're going to see that big fat zero where your dollars used to be. And then I have to uh, put up with that. So anyway, the funds that I'm talking about are momentum-based. They've got, and actually I hold about three of them now in the portfolios that I manage. There are three of these types of funds. So I know exactly which sectors are doing the best, how and why, because I'm watching the model that I built. And I can say, hey, the, uh, the growth momentum stuff is beating everything. So, but if you're in, and then if you're in value oriented stuff, you haven't done very well. Now here's the rub. Most people will look at that and go, well, I know what we need to do. Let's just buy all the growth momentum stuff and forget all that value stuff. Yeah. But when the growth momentum stuff hits a wall and starts to come down and the pendulum swings back towards the value measure and those value funds start to outperform, you're going to miss that if you're not there. So that's what I meant when I was talking earlier in a, on a program about, oh, um, investing always being uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable knowing that you're investing in things that aren't currently in favor. That's uncomfortable. 
because you see the things in your portfolio that are doing so well. And the first question I get typically is, well, why don't we have all of our money in that? Well, two reasons. Number one, because it's not always going to be that way. If history does in fact repeat itself for the last hundred years or so, when value comes back into vogue, you're going to be glad you had it. The second reason is you can't predict when that's going to happen. You don't know exactly when that's going to happen. So having a little bit of both, that makes the most sense. And uh, there were there was a time when you could uh, do a lot of sector rotation. You know, just go, just hold the top performing sectors. Look at it once every few weeks. Rebalance your portfolio. That's that's actually not as productive as it has been in the past. And I think a lot of it's because the funds that are out there, are a lot of funds that are doing that. They're doing the same thing. They put a different spin on it. They actually rank them by size in addition to the speed. And some of them actually use valuations or growth rates, which I think it are really good additions. I know they are because I've seen how they, those funds are performing. They're doing very well. And I'm holding three of them out of the group of funds that I hold. Three of them actually represent that. Now, because most of my clients are a little older, we also have a bunch of value-oriented, dividend-oriented paying stock funds in there because they tend to like them and they tend to be slightly less volatile. They don't make as much money when the market's going on a tear. When it's going up really fast, most of the momentum-type funds are going to outperform those. When a market's going down really fast, those momentum funds have a tendency to drop more than the dividend-paying value-oriented funds do. When you look at, when I, notice I said drop more. It's not like the dividend-paying stock funds don't go down. They do. They just have a tendency not to go down quite as far. And that's where some of their long-term performance comes from. It comes from not having to make up the steep losses that a momentum fund would have to uh, make up. Uh, the good news on the momentum funds is they have a tendency to make it up as long as they don't get too big. If you're a small cap momentum fund, that can be a long time. <laughs> you can have an underperformance for a very long time. If you're a large cap, um, you know what? Actually, the way that they've got it, some of the funds are structured today. The underperforming periods should be a lot shorter going forward. That's an improvement. That hasn't come around until the last few years. These things are not that old. Uh, somebody besides myself has been watching what's going on and they've got a lot more money than I do so they can afford to roll out, you know, spend millions of dollars launching a new fund before they can expect to make any money back for themselves. And unfortunately, I can't. <laughs> but I understand what they're doing. And that's a very important aspect of this whole thing. You know what else is important when you're looking at those types of funds? They're converting short-term capital gains into long-term capital gains for the vast majority of them. That is a, you know, they lobbied hard to get that passed through Congress. I can tell you that for sure. And it, it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. So and the reason I'm talking so much about stocks today is because bonds are next are paying next to nothing. I'm looking around at CDs. If you have a CD rate that's over 1%, it's typically for 6 months. And 6 months from now, they're going to drop that rate. They're going to drop that rate and it's going to come down to about a, probably about a half a percent or so. And uh, so that's a that, the teaser rate 
is like one or one and a quarter. <laughs> I just can't believe it. I can't believe we're, we're talking about this. Okay. A 10-year treasury is paying less than a half of a percent. A ha- well, after you take the uh, taxes out. Before taxes, it's like five-tenths or six-tenths of a percent. That's a 10-year treasury bond, which is exactly why I was talking about the nationwide product over the past few weeks. Now, if you want more information on that, feel free to email me. I'll, I'll send you a link. But Nationwide's got this product for certain people. It's not a one-size-fits-all. I don't agree with the people that, that say, look, you should just do this, this one thing, this is all you need to do. No, life's not that simple. It, it really isn't. I would love for it to be that way, but it's not. So what we're doing is we're looking at the uh, a certain area, let's say the fixed income, a, a long-term fixed income portion of your portfolio, which you have there, by the way, typically to keep the whole portfolio from fluctuating so much. It's just to keep the whole portfolio from fluctuating a lot. Because today with those interest rates being that low, that's all basically all it's good for. And hopefully you don't get talked into buying something that has a lot more risk to it because it's got a yield of four or five percent. Uh, a yield of four or five percent today is going to come with a, a significant amount of risk. You can't get a four or five percent dividend or interest rate without taking on an incredible amount of risk, at least not today. So, and that's what made this so attractive. And for years, I'd stayed away from most of these types of products. By the way, this is a relatively new variation on an old theme. Um, it's an annuity, uh, but the annuity has a rider that you can add that will guarantee a certain amount of income. And it also guarantees that for every year that you delay taking the income, it'll go up. And the amount that it's going to go up by is going to be significantly greater than a half of a percent on a CD. Um, it's got a lot of restrictions. They're not to, to compare this to CDs. There's a lot of, of differences between these things. Uh, so typically you don't want to be very, I don't know. You wouldn't want to be a young person doing this. I don't think. Yeah. I think you'd want to be su- substantially older, getting somewhere within 10 years of needing the money. And I just uh, got a uh, notice. I've only got about two minutes or less than two minutes now before I have to take a commercial break. So, We'll talk about this when we come back from the break. Like, who should be looking at this product? Where does it fit into a portfolio? Where does guaranteed income fit into your total portfolio? Because you don't, you probably don't want to put all your money in the guaranteed portion. I don't know, unless you've got you know ten million dollars and you're never going to invest. You'll never spend, you know, the money that they're going to guarantee anyway. Then fine, you can do whatever you want. But the uh, realistically, the vast majority of people are not going to want to have all of your money in a product like this or a product of any kind for that matter because they they all do a whole bunch of different things. I mean, there are literally thousands upon thousands of different types of investment products out there. I think my Morningstar database had around 60,000 funds in it. 60,000. <laughs> that is mind-boggling. And that doesn't count the sub-accounts in a variable annuity, the options in a 401k plan. It is mind-boggling how many products there are 
out there today. And, and again, they're designed to do different things. So I guess that's one of the reasons I still have a job is because they keep creating all these products and people have to keep learning about them to figure out whether or not this is the right thing for them to do. And, uh, it's not an easy thing to do, but uh, we'll talk more about it when we come back from these commercial messages. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned. back and we were just talking about all the various options people have to invest in today uh, unbelievable number of funds out there thousands actually do you know that there are more funds that you can invest in than there are stocks for them to be able to invest in <laughs> and it's caused a change in how stocks behave it really has and I'm looking at what's just gone up the most, the best performing categories, which are typically what the average investor thinks they should be investing in. That's true to a certain extent, okay, but it's kind of like having a little bit of knowledge being pretty dangerous. In this case, it's incredibly dangerous because if you, if you go with the stuff that's just gone up the most and you're not really familiar with how that works in the long run, you're probably in for a surprise. I mean, look at, here's Netflix, just as an example. As I'm looking at Netflix, it's up 10% today. In a day, it's up 10%, which is amazing because it's a $500 stock. Well, it's $543 now. It was actually slightly less than 500 bucks. But here's the thing. Netflix, if you added up the price of every share of the stock, and then you divided that by the sales that the company has, it's selling at $8.86 per dollar of sales. Why is that important? Well, because the average stock only sells for two. If you're looking at two times sales versus 8.86 times sales, I mean, Netflix had better continue to perform very well to be worth four times more, almost five times more than any other stock on the planet. Now, I like Netflix. I think it's a great idea. But I can tell you right now, it's from the momentum. Momentum funds are buying that that stock. And it could cause the price to go up from here. Just, the, just because it's overpriced now doesn't mean it can't get more overpriced. Right? And uh, that's one of the things that you got to, kind of have to be on, on the lookout for when you're investing in these types of funds. If they're investing in stocks, the best performing stock funds, by the way, they've got Netflix in them. Guess what else they have? Facebook. Facebook is selling at 8.6 times their annual sales. That's a big number. If you're growing fast enough, if you're growing 30, 40% a year, yeah, that's fine. But if you're not, you may be overpaying for those stocks. Here's the big difference between the average investor who's, who owns those stocks and, and the funds that own them. 
the funds that own those stocks are actually going to start to peel back their holdings in that stock at some point in time in the future. They will actually go in and start to sell shares. When? They're actually going to wait until the share prices start to drop. And they'll probably have to drop a fairly significant amount before they actually start to sell shares in it. Why? Well, because nobody knows where the top is. They're just running them based on math. There's a certain amount of momentum there. The momentum starts to drop. Start reducing the, the number of shares that you're holding in the fund. And those funds, by the way, have a tendency to be slightly more volatile than the overall stock market or the uh, the broader-based funds to try to represent the stock market. You, you kind of have to look at the Russell Equal Weighted 1000. That'll give you a better idea of the average stock in the stock market. Uh, there, there's not a good indicator, incidentally, of what the entire stock market's doing. There's, there's no good indicator for that. Um, there's not an index that was created for that. And in fact, somebody should do that. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're a CFA candidate or you already have a CFA, why don't you create the index that represents the real stock market? That would be awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so when we're looking at the S&P 500, you're looking at a fairly small subset. And by the way, the Netflix is part of that. The uh, part of the FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, all of which make up a huge percentage of the S&P 500, all of which are making new highs. Not all stocks are making new highs. In fact, let's take a look at this. Here's the Russell Mid-Cap Value Index Fund. Not only is it not making a new high, it's it's 15% below its all-time high that was set earlier this year. So those stocks are making new highs. This one's still down, and this is an entire, it's an index, represents a certain sector of the total stock market. So this index fund is still down 15% from where it was, and it is not alone. There are actually most of them. The the regular mid-cap index fund is still down about 6%, and that's got the growth and the value in it. Let's see if I can find another. Um, hmm. Bear with me here. I feel bad for... Okay. So here's a small company value fund. It reached its high in 2018. So a little over two years ago. It's down 23, almost 24% from its highest price two years ago. And I'm going to tell you, that's going to make most people go, yeah, let's not invest in that fund. And I'm going, uh, yeah, but see, these are smaller companies. Smaller companies generally grow faster. Their valuations are very good, which means they're not overpriced. In the long run, the, the returns on that have been very similar to the other funds that we were just talking about, the ones that are doing the best right now. So in the long run, their returns are, are all within 1% of each other. Think about that. So if you were trying to use logic, the logic should go, I'm going to hold both of those because the average of the two is really kind of higher than the average of either one of them by themselves. Not always. Okay. But uh, not. It, it actually is going to allow me to avoid guessing 
at which one's going to do best. Now, if the, the underperforming index ever does catch up, if it goes back to its long-term average, what that means is it's going to be moving up faster to close the gap one day. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> We're not allowed to. Again, you, you can't, you're not allowed to promise anything on these things. But um, so I think that's a, a really interesting philosophy. And, and there, there are a couple of uh, ETFs out there that I've been using. There are a couple of sectors I've been overweighting lately. Um, one of them I've been overweighting for a while. But what, what does that mean when I say overweight a sector? Well, let's say healthcare, for example. Healthcare is comprised of a bunch of different businesses. Actually, they're, they're a bunch of different industries. So the sector is made up of a bunch of different industries. But they're all related to healthcare some way, shape, or form. Some of them make the equipment that they use in the hospitals. Some of them make the disposables. Some of them make pharmaceutical products, you know, drugs. Some of them are, are biotechnology that make uh, drugs, that make equipment, uh, the, uh, to read your DNA, all kinds of stuff. So they're all related somehow, some way, shape, or form to healthcare. So I've got a model that will invest in those companies, and there are three funds in it, and they're act- actually actively managed. It means a uh, somebody's out there picking the stocks, looking at things like profit margins, sales, what they think is going to be the future of the product. And why am I using that when I just said I, I like to use math? Well, I, I like to do both, quite frankly. And for this particular area, I think it, it's been a big help over the years. But you can add stuff like that to a portfolio to try to keep higher returns. When you look at how that model would have done over the past 20, 30 years, it makes sense. You know, the healthcare costs are rising faster than the overall cost of inflation. They ha- that's been a, a long-term trend. S- the 60 and over portion of the populations, the fastest growing portion of the population. What happens as you get older? I can tell you, you go to the doctor more often. I'm starting to go to the doctor a lot more often, <laughs> which is really depressing. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's very expensive. So I decided, yeah, that, that makes sense. And I've resisted that because healthcare was always represented pretty healthily in most of the indexes that I'd been investing in. But I'm looking at this and I'm going, you know what? The, uh, eh, I think I'm going to add a little bit more money to that. So it could make a pretty big difference if the past repeats itself. Right now, valuations are not extended in that area. The growth rates faster than the overall stock market is, which it has been for quite a while. So if I add a little bit more to that, hopefully I'll get better returns on that than I would if I didn't overweight that. Same thing with the semiconductors. You know, I've been talking about that now for, I don't know, three years. Uh, And they've done very well. Um, And their growth rate's still the fastest growth rate of any industry on the planet. Semiconductors. Why? Because 5G. Because 5G touches everything. It's not just 5G. It's not your phones. Your phones are 5G and they talk a lot about that. That technology was developed for the driverless trucks. That's what they developed that technology for. They realized later after they started going down that path, they're like, Hey, wait a minute. We can actually run the cell phones on this, on these same networks, which means that we can have kids playing games at super high speeds that they could not have done before because the games would continuously time out. 
And if you don't know what that phrase timeout means, ask your grandkid. <laughs> They'll know. <laughs> but the, uh, uh, the bottom line is you could be watching a video on your cell phone and, and it stops. And you're like, oh, and you're waiting for it to catch up. Okay. So with the 5G, that, that solves some of that problem. And it's gotten into everything. I mean, they're putting this in toys. They're putting this at some point in time. I'm pretty sure it's going to be in your toothbrush because at two minutes it's going to stop so you don't have to actually watch the, <laughs> have a watch. <laughs> watch, that'll happen. You watch. That, that will absolutely happen. But um, it's happening now in a bunch of different areas. And what's interesting about this whole thing, it, you, you got to have semiconductors for that. So uh, it's kind of interesting. And every time, every time there's a new iteration or an upgrade or something that the current infrastructure doesn't support, they have to replace it. That's kind of cool. It's like chocolate. You can't just uh, start eat, stop eating chocolate one day. <laughs> At least you can if you're me. <laughs> but uh, I'm just kidding. The uh, so anyway. To being able to take those, overweight those in a portfolio, I think it's, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. Now, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I'm going to change the subject. And I'm going to go back to the fixed income portion because I've been talking about this nationwide product for quite a while. And uh, I think it's something that everybody needs to hear. It, it's a guaranteed product. Again, the guarantees are only as good as the company that are making the guarantees. So you want to want to make sure that insurance companies that you're dealing with when you're dealing with these types of products are highly rated, uh, do the best you can because they're, they're making guarantees that they're going to have to stand behind and they need to be able to honor those. And you need to do as much research as you can to uh, try to figure out whether or not you think that this company can actually pay off. And uh, anyway, I, I really like, and they're not the only ones. I mean, there are other people out there that uh, have products that are very similar to this. I just uh, have a lot of experience with these guys and they do have extremely high r- credit ratings. So because somebody had asked me a question uh, that I had to look up the answer to a few weeks ago and uh, he was asking if the um, obligations were a part or the investments were a part of their general account, the general investment account for the insurance company. And the answer is yes. So insurance companies take in premiums they invest those premiums. They try to earn a return on the premium and that's what they pay claims out of. So yes, this is part of the general obligation of nationwide. So I thought that was uh, uh, pretty cool because they're not making direct investments in the stock market. They're not making direct investments into the other indexes that they're using. Uh, they're basically using options and they're on the hook for that. You know, they're the ones that are managing that. And, I, and I, I can tell you for sure, you don't want to be managing your own option portfolio. <laughs> that, that is a nightmare. That is incredibly difficult to do. It, it's incredibly difficult to do well. So you want to t- keep with people who are uh, experts in their field. And what, what does that offer you? Well, experts are probably going to do better than you. Nationwide's uh, managing a ton of money the guarantees that they're making they're they're various guarantees. And I, I think I'm going to probably spend some time over the next few weeks, just talking about the individual characteristics of these things, because it's not just nationwide. There are a bunch of companies out there. They're calling the products a fixed indexed annuity. And I think under current conditions, this is something a lot of people should take a look at. Not for everybody, 
Definitely not for everybody. But under current conditions, with interest rates being as low as they are, now, and, and I'm going to make a confession here. I'm 57. Okay, I almost never talk about how, how old I am. I'm 57 years old. I put this in my, pro, my portfolio because it's taking a very important place. It's taking a place that was invested in bonds paying around 2%. <laughs> That's the reason. And I'm within 10 years. And by the way, 10 years from now, uh, the, the benefit that I could take today, well, actually, you have to wait one year. The benefit that I could take after one year, first of all, I don't need the income in a year. Secondly, it's it's going to go up 7% per year every year that I delay it, kind of like Social Security. So I could get a, a, a very competitive return next year if I wanted to start taking income from it right away. And by the way, they would pay for the rest of my life. That's the hook that uh, once you enter into one of these contracts, they, they're they on the hook now. Nationwide's got to pay that amount of money out for the rest of my life. That's that's pretty good. It's a, uh, that's where we talk about the guaranteed income. That's where that comes from. Again, only as good as nationwide. It's guaranteed. So uh, uh, why am I doing that? Well, because I just moved a bunch of money from a bunch of bonds that were paying around 2% with risk into this thing that is going to pay more than 2% if I wanted to take it out now, but will also guarantee that it'll go up. So I hear the music. It means I'm uh, obligated to take a commercial break. <laughs> Stay tuned. You're listening to Bill Pullington right here on 1420. back. So I was just talking a little bit about uh, the guaranteed products from Nationwide. I think that's a, a good thing for a lot of people to take a look at. Just take a look at it. You know, it may not be the right answer for you. That's one of the jobs of a fiduciary is to consider all the available options, try to pick out those that are the most pertinent, try to explain them best of our ability and to help you decide which ones are the best for you. So that's uh, kind of neat. And um, I like the that method of doing business. I think it's actually it should have been like this from the very get-go. You know, they, they haven't, this wasn't a requirement of fiduciaries. It wasn't a requirement to be a fiduciary. It's, you're still not required to be a fiduciary in, in a lot of cases, by the way. But that's uh, how I like to do my business. And... It's been working for me for a very long time period. And uh, so anyway, just thought I would uh, kind of follow it up by saying, you know, when you do this, you can actually, if you email me, I'll send you a link. You can go in and, and kind of play around with, uh, I, here's my age and here's the amount of uh, 
income I'd like to receive, how much money would I need for that, or or you can do it the other ways. Here's my age, and here's how much money I have, how much income can I generate. Feel free to, to email me, go to bullingtoncapital.com, reach out on the contact us page. Actually, try to write a description for that in there. A lot of people go to that and they fill it out. They put their email address and their name, but they don't give me the question. So I don't know exactly what they're asking for, uh, and I don't know what to send. So if you wouldn't mind just putting the comment in there, I'd like to see the, uh, the nationwide or anything else that you've heard about here today. If you want to see a my most aggressive model, investment model, it's the one I call the uh, healthcare semiconductors. It only has two industries in it. I like to use it in addition to the conservative model that I run uh, just to try to kick up the returns a little bit. Not with everybody. Again, I have to recommend the things I think will be best for you. But if you want to see that model too, uh, I would be glad to have a conversation with you about that over the phone because uh, I don't have a license just to send that out to the general public. Uh, you actually have to have some sort of relationship and a phone conversation of five minutes or so. That's a, like a minimum relationship. <laughs> well, that's how we skate that rule. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, uh, what what would have happened if you go back 10 years now and you'd invested in healthcare and the semiconductor, just those two industries. And by the way, those numbers look so awesome. And I'm going to tell you, don't expect that in the future. Just don't. Um, it's a... Uh, <laughs> It was a very good time period for both of them. But if you go back a long time, and actually, let me back up a second. The reason that they've done so well, as long as they have, is because sales have been rising pretty rapidly in those industries. Think about it. What's grown faster than technology and healthcare? Not much. Now, if you knew that a technology was going to go away, you probably wouldn't want to invest in that anymore. That's one of the reasons I think it's important to have actively managed or funds that, that look at certain metrics like sales growth, like profitability. When, when that stuff starts to dwindle away, they start to cut back. Okay, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, they also use the size of the company. When the size of the company is shrinking, oftentimes the, the price movement will happen before the uh, fundamentals actually start to erode. So that's kind of a big deal that, that's in there too. It's, these are all management things. These are all things that are being done without us thinking about it. Uh, the time that you think about it is when you're selecting the fund. You're reading the description of, of how those funds are being managed. So anyway, I, I'd be glad to have a conversation with you about that. Five minutes, you just call or ask me to give you a call. I'll call you back. Say, hey, look, you can tell me that uh, I wanted to see the healthcare semiconductor model. I'll show it to you. The more diversified model I built, I call it the DOL model because back, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago when the Department of Labor put in those rules, I went back, got the accreditation for the uh, investment fiduciary, which I have to do the, uh, that reminds me, I, I think I'm overdue on my, uh, I got to catch up on my hours that I put up each year. So anyway, I built that model to comply with Department of Labor rule standards. It's it's more for people who are retiring soon or uh, are already retired, it's it's overweighted in some large cap dividend paying stocks. So it's not the most aggressive thing that you can do, although all stocks are aggressive. I, you know what was really wild? You looked at, at how far down a bunch of the high quality dividend paying stocks were and that they still haven't come back. 
Uh, they dropped nearly as much as the S&P did. That blew my mind. And they're not at a, they haven't recovered as quickly. It doesn't surprise me that much, but uh, it's, it's a little surprising. Uh, they're still down about 12% or so from their all-time highs, which were reached a little while ago. So it's a uh, um, can be frustrating, but I get it. You know, these stocks don't have the growth rates right now. It's kind of the uh, Googles and the Netflix of the world that have really been leading the market back. Uh, when those stocks take a break and they're getting to a point now where their valuations are extremely high, that, uh, that always bothers me a little bit when I see companies that have done really well and they have really high valuations because they just don't go to the moon. Um, I'd be, I'd be really careful with that. That's, that's another reason I think when I look at, at how the average person does it, if the Dalbar studies, you know, Dalbar is an organization that studies investor behavior. If the Dalbar studies are true and the average investor is really earning the returns that the average, that they say they are, then the nationwide product with the guarantees actually substantially higher than the average investors doing in their stock portfolios. That that's kind of interesting. That's extremely interesting. So it was designed for a portion of your portfolio, not the whole thing, but in fact, it, it's actually outperformed a ton of people on their stocks. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. Now, if I were in my, if I were below the age of, I don't know, 50, you know, if I'm below the age of 50, Maybe, probably even 55. I think if I were below the age of 55, I'm not sure I would be looking at that. I'm not sure that that makes sense. Now, if I'm above the age of 57, I'm definitely taking a look at this. I'm going to take a look at it for a portion of my fixed income. I'm going to try to swap that out. That's going to do two things, by the way. If, if you decide to, to, to use this particular strategy, if you like this strategy, you take and you take a big chunk of your bond money. Now, the the most common allocation is a 60-40, 60% stock, 40% bonds across the country. Uh, if you were to take half that money or say two-thirds of that money, put it into the guaranteed portion, it's going to have a higher return than bonds will over the next 10 years or longer, probably over the next 20 years. So, and they're going to guarantee those, those returns, those rates. And again, if you want to talk more about this, I can't be specific. I can just tell you that they have guaranteed rates. I can send you the link if you contact me, but it's going to be substantially higher than bonds. Okay. Uh, so if you took a portion of the bond money that you had and you put it over there, I think it, that that's fine. I think it'll bump up your returns. What that does is with the money that you don't have there, now you can be more aggressive with that money because you've got more safety on the other side and it allow it frees you up a little bit. I think that's a great idea. I think it's an, it's an awesome idea. Uh, it's kind of what I did. And especially if you're going to have to make more than, you know, four or 5% a year during retirement, I think it's going to be incredibly important. You know, you look at the Dalbar studies, the last 20 years, the average investors made 1.7 what the average investor, according to Dalbar, has made over the past 20 years, 1.7. So you're going to have to do substantially better than that to be able to retire and not have to go back to work one day. 
And uh, hopefully you'd like to be able to retire. You'd like to have assets actually growing faster than you're spending them. That would be awesome. Let me tell you something. That's getting harder and harder to do. You got 40% of your money in bonds and bonds are paying you know less than 1%, particularly after a management fee. So 1% of 40% is 0.4%. That's all that's going to add. That's all that's going to add. When I first started Bullington Capital, when I left to go out on my own back in, I think it was, what's the date? Was it 2004, maybe? 2005? 2004. Okay. You could get a, a real estate investment trust fund that was paying over 10%. You could get high yield bonds that were paying over 10%. Both of those are paying 60 and 70% less than they were paying then. You could get a CD that was paying five and a half to six percent. Now CDs are less than one percent. That's the big change. That is an adjustment. That is a huge adjustment. That's why I'm using such lower numbers going forward when I talk about the future. Uh, I'm using a lot lower numbers because we can't rely on those uh, interest payments coming from the fixed income portion of the portfolio anymore. And normally those would be quite a bit. I hear the music. That means I'm being kicked off the air. I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, you've been listening to Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon and 1420. Have a good weekend, everybody. Good luck and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report. Broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420. The answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.